But if you don't remember 9-11, you remember or know someone that remembers. Some of you remember that I was, uh, yes, we're checking our mics here. Is our mic working okay today? Our mic is on. Everybody's hearing me. All right. But remember 9-11. Let me fix that. Sorry about that. Sometimes technology gets in the way. But remember 9-11 because we were alive. Some of you, I don't know that were born yet. Um, I know some of the little ones weren't born yet. But they'll be able to talk to someone that remembers 9-11 or knows about 9-11. But it was less than 20 years ago. Now, I have been married more than 20 years. But there are people that attended our wedding. And even though you weren't at the wedding, you could go ask them. Because what happens when somebody challenges you something, you, you say, well, if you don't believe me, go check with... There were people that were there that I could name, and you could go check with them and see that the wedding occurred. And we could check that out. They remember, they know, they were there. So that brings us to our scripture reading this morning, which is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to be reading in your hearing verses 1 through 17. 1 through 17. Now a little bit of a background, just to kind of, while you're turning there in your Bibles, or flipping there in your phone, it will be up on the screen, and we'll be using the New King James Version as we do each week. But the letter to the Corinthians, the epistle, is what the epistle means, letter, that Paul wrote was in around 55 A.D. He wrote that in around 55 A.D. And it's thought that his initial visit to the Corinthians was in 51 A.D. In 51 A.D. So let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 7. You know, I should have been turning there while I was talking, um, but you know how it goes. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 7. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Now I would keep that open and we'll kind of follow along. We're going to jump back to verse 1. Jump back to verse 1 and what does he say? The word he preached. And if you look at verse 2, you also see that he preached. He's talking about past tense. What is he referring to? He's referring to his visit back in A.D. 51, 51 A.D. When he preached it to them before, and then he continues in verse 3, and this is where we're going to dice it apart just a little bit. He says to them that, for I delivered, again past tense, to you, first of all. He delivered to them first of all, the first thing that he told them basically. 
the thing I wanted you to know when I came before that I had also received. And you're like, where, where is he going with this? Someone told him something. He received it. And when he came to the Corinthian church, he delivered it in A.D. 51. And he's going to remind them about it in A.D. 55. Now, if you go look up some sources, they might say it's, he, he was there from 50 to some other range. But it's generally in that range. To get the picture, he visited them, he shared with them something that he had been taught or learned, and he's reminded them of it again. He's delivering what he also received. What he delivers to them, some would call a creed. It's a creed. And what is that creed? For deliver you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to this present, but some have fallen asleep. This is the creed. It's a creed he's sharing. Sometimes we share doctrinal principles in songs. Some of our songs are more praise songs. Some of our songs, some of our hymns have doctrine and teaching in them. This creed was telling them and reminding them, you remember Jesus died. He died. You remember that he was buried. You remembered he was there for three days. You remember that he rose again. You remember that he was seen by Cephas. He was seen by 500 at one time, and he was seen by James. You remember that, and so they repeat it. Some of you I know have been in Boy Scouts, and you, you say the pledge, and sometimes you're in 4-H, and my heart to healthy learning, and the rest of it I forget. So I've been in both the 4-H and Boy Scouts, but I don't remember all the pledges. Fortunately, I can remember this creed a little better. Jesus died. He was buried. And he rose again. So they're repeating that creed. They're getting that, that talk. They're reinforcing that doctrine. They're reinforcing what we would call a belief. It's because he's coming in contact with people that maybe weren't part of the 500. But what's he telling them? He says, but they were part of the, there were 500 some of which are alive, he said, today. Some have passed away. Some are alive today. I can say the same thing about my wedding. There's some that are alive today and some that have passed away. But within 20 to 30 years. And we believe that it's highly possible that he received this from Cephas and from James. And we'll, we'll tell you why in just a minute. Remember, our message title is Fact Check Jesus. Because we're talking about some people, it's like, oh, do you believe in the resurrection? Today we're looking at some proof texts, and we're going to look at some logical, tech, logical concepts 
that brings us to reality that we can know that Jesus rose from the dead. The same similar proofs that you would take in class. He was seen by over 500 at once. And oh, by the way, when did Jesus die? When did Jesus die? 33 A.D. 33 A.D. I think we have some numbers going to pop up here. I want you to see. I put some numbers back here for, for the uh, A.V. people to throw up. They don't know when I'm going to do what. You know, it's a hard job sometimes. But 51 A.D. Remember, that is when he visited Corinthians and delivered this creed. When did Jesus die? Some people give you a range, but it's probably around 33 AD. That's within 20 years. That's within 20 years. So when he says those people, that some of them are still alive, it's just like the people that could tell you about my wedding. I didn't have, we didn't have 500 people there. There were several people. There was a lot of people, but there weren't 500 people. But I says, yeah, you could, you could check out the wedding. We, we got married. He's like, yeah, right. Yeah, go talk to so-and-so. Oh, yeah, I know them. I've heard of them. I can go, I can go look them up. But he called out some prominent ones. So Paul is making a refutable statement if it's false. A refutable statement if it's false. If it's false, he could find someone as a counter knowledgeable and say, I never saw that. And if he said Cephas and James saw it, Cephas and James could say, no, that never happened. Credible witnesses. People that were still alive. Within 20 years, Just go ask him. You have Cephas, which is Peter, the 12 disciples, and James, likely the half-brother of Jesus. But when did Paul, when did Paul get this creed? It's probably in Galatians. He talks about it in Galatians 1.18. Galatians 1.18. See, Galatians is the letter, the epistle, to the Galatians. It says there in 118 and 19 of Galatians 1, Then after three years I went to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none other than the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. It is thought that this was when he got this creed. He got this creed three years after his conversion. Paul received this three years after his conversion. Why do they think it's a creed? Because the style in the Greek. I'm not a Greek scholar, but they say in the style of the Greek and the pattern and some of the word choices, it's an early creed. He got it three years after his conversion. 
And it's likely that when he references Cephas and James, he references the visit that he had with them when he visited them, when he's telling them about the creed. So three years after his conversion, he talks with confirmed sources and receives the creed. The creed is actually expected to go back very close to Jesus' death. I want you to think about this a little bit. The disciples appointed Stephen. Remember Stephen? He was appointed to take care of the widows and the orphans. And Stephen was the first he was a martyr. Now, he was appointed by the disciples early. And who was present at Stephen's stoning and was okay with his death? But Saul, who later became Paul, Saul held and watched their garments while they stoned Stephen. Very early. And at some point, you know, Saul, Paul, went about gathering up the Christians and then on the road to Antioch, he, God got a hold of him, and he was converted. Three years after that, three years after that, he received this creed. So the creed is probably much earlier. Some might put Paul's visit with Peter and James, some of the sources I was looking at, around 38 A.D. So the creed is early. Why would they be making up a creed that was so specific and referenced people in 38 AD? They're telling it to Paul. And some have said the creed came from earlier because there were people that could refute it. It's an early creed. They're passing it to people that didn't see it, but they were eyewitnesses. So maybe Paul wasn't an eyewitness, but he given an account of eyewitnesses that were there, and he names them. That seems pretty credible. It seems pretty credible. Jesus dies 33 A.D. Around 38 A.D., the creed is received. 51 A.D., he delivers it to the Corinthians. 55 A.D., he reminds them of them of it. All of this is within a pretty tight window, a time less than the time between when I and my wife got married. Just over 30 years ago. And those people, I know I used 20 before, but I'm letting you know even 30 years, people still can speak to it. That we're there. And the same is in this case. Go check with some of the 500 that are alive, he's basically saying. I don't know if that it's a dare, but you can talk to Cephas, you can talk to Peter, you can talk to James. He rose from the dead. And if that doesn't convince you, you might want to think about, you know, have you realized... Christians were martyred. The apostles were killed for something they knew. They either knew it to be true or they knew it to be false. And you might say, people die for their faith all the time. 
That's for what they believe. They might die for something they believe, and it turns out it's true. They might die for something they believe, and it turns out to be false. But why would they die for something they knew was false? Maybe they were delusional. All of them? All of them were delusional? The church started. Something launched the church at that time. Resurrection would do that. A resurrection would do that. But why would they die for a lie? What's the benefit? Why would they be imprisoned for a lie? Why? Why would Paul put up with being stoned for a lie? Why would people be crucified and thrown in with the lions? For something they could have gone and asked somebody, say, hey, is this really true? And they're like, yes, I was there. Why would they die for a lie? They didn't die for a lie. They died for the truth. And so as we come into Easter, we're like, well, you believe this, you believe that. The history that we have and you can research tells you more credibly than some of the other writings, historical writings that you might look at. You might go back to Plato or something and you might find some old book. But we got multitudes of copies of the New Testament, particular, particular books. It was something that was real. Something caused that surge that launched the first church it was the resurrection for something those people were willing to die to defend they were defending and dying for something they knew to be true not something they believed to be true but they something that they knew to be true we know god is real and we need god you need god so it reminds us of a couple things. If God is real, if he's really real, and it's not just some belief systems that my, my parents or somebody told me about. It's just not a place where the nice people are at. But Jesus is real. Intellectually, I've had to turn on. Hopefully intellectually today, your mind has caught up with your heart, realizing that there's something amiss. One writer described it that there's an ought in our heart. Billy Graham talked about the God-shaped hole in our heart that we're trying to feel, fill. And it's like that little kid's toy, you know, with the, the triangle, and they try to put in the circle, and they try to put the circle in the triangle or the square, and it doesn't fit. And people try different things to try to make it fit. They try to fit, fit it with their mind. They try to fit it with alcohol or other illicit activities. And it doesn't fit. It doesn't satisfy. They might try to fill it with work or education. And it doesn't fit. There's something missing, something wrong. And it's that we need God. 
God feels that whole. In Scripture it says that in John 14, 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's only through Jesus. And you start going down the path of some of those other religions, you have to disengage your brain at some point to say it's someone else. Because it doesn't make as much sense. When you start laying it out and you start thinking about it, it makes more sense that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and that there is a God than it doesn't. But what are you going to do with the fact that God is real, that Jesus really rose from the dead? Some of the so-called evangelical churches you go today will tell you there may be multiple paths. Some have lost their ways. There's only one path, and it's through Jesus. He's the one that shed his blood. He's the one that was both God and man. He's the one that was able to be the sacrifice for our sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There's no covering because it's a sin. For the wages of sin is death, it tells us. When Adam and Eve sinned, death entered in the world. So blood. Jesus died for our sins. He was the purest, spotless, sinless lamb conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was there at the beginning. He wasn't created when he was born, but he humbled himself and took on the limitations of a man, and he died for us. It's that Jesus that you need. It's that Jesus that you need to ask the forgiveness of your sins. The simple prayer that I've led people in is... I'm sorry for my sins. I want to follow you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Help me to follow you. Thank you for saving me. I talked to a man that died, would die of cancer not too, long, too uh, long after I talked to him. It might have been a month or two. But he had lived an alcoholic life. He says, I should have done this a long time ago. You're coming into contact with the real Jesus. Now, for some of us, it might be that you've accepted Jesus into your life, but the question becomes, is he Lord? Is he Lord? Because in Mark 12, 30 to 31, we find out, and you've heard this before. Maybe you've heard this before. Verse 29, I'll back up. Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is here, O Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, we've preached sermons around this part before, but briefly said, it's very difficult. Some people are not lovable. They're not very lovable. They're hard to love. And so if you think about it, if you get your relationship with God right, it's easier to love people right. Get the relationship with God right and love him with all. It's evil, able to love people right. Now, how do you remember that? Remember God with all, and it'll help you love everyone else. Remember the cross. That cross, he died for you so that you could love him and have forgiveness of your sins, but it enables you to love others, and it's very difficult to fulfill that second commandment without the first. It's got to be in that order. 
And Paul tells us that he dies out daily. There's a place that we have to come to, a place of surrender, and let God have complete control of our lives, not just let him in the entryway. For some, God's a guest in their house. Yeah, God, you can come in the entryway, but I have this private closet back here that you can't go into. I got this room that you're not allowed into. You know, sometimes you have guests over. We're going to have guests at our house today. There's some rooms they're not going to go into because they're just not going to. You can figure out the rest. We've cleaned a lot of places, but there's some rooms, you know, it just happens, right? But you might have some rooms in your house that need cleaned, and you're not letting God go in there. There might be that your attitudes stink, and the way you approach things stink, and God wants to do a remodel of the room. He's got a, you got a wall there, and it needs to go away. Some of us try to do it the do-it-yourself do part. I'm telling you, we need an expert. We need God, the Holy Spirit, to come in and clean us out. But you can't do that unless you give him permission. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, we, we find that admonition that Paul writes. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him. And let me read it instead of quote it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Other translations or, or, or in the notes will say, or reasonable act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Some of you need transformed. We need remodeled. We need to surrender of God and let him start remodeling us. So how are you going to respond to this real God today? How are you going to respond that Jesus actually died on the cross, was buried, and rose from the dead? You might have sort of believed it, but hopefully today your brain is engaged that, oh, this is real. God is real. I might have wondered, but God really is real. It's kind of these kinds of pursuits that atheists go down and they've done the research and it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why would they die if they knew it was a lie? So many of them for their faith. But when faith, they knew that he rose from the dead. Why would they do that? Why would the church launch then? Many other people had come and maybe said they were the Messiah. They died and it stopped, but not this guy. Not when Jesus came. He died something different happened. It was his resurrection. So how do you respond in God today? I don't know what you came with. I don't know what's what's in your heart, but the Holy Spirit has confronted you today. What is your response? Let's be standing together. With your Father God, I pray to Lord that you would move and search us and see, the Lord, if there be any wicked way in me. Oh, and lead us to way everlasting. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Father, some of us maybe need Christ and need to accept him and pray that prayer we prayed before. Lord, they don't have to get it exactly right, but they just need to seek you. But, Father, maybe there's some. Maybe there's some that God's saying, I want all of you. Maybe there's some that God's been saying, I want you to do this ministry. 
I want you to be involved in this work. I want you to leave where you are and go do something. I want you to make a change, just like I told Abraham to make a change, to make a move. I pray to Lord that each one here would just be obedient to you. I pray that each one that's listening online, each one that's walking, watching online, would be obedient to you. And they, when we confront that, yes, Jesus rose, you rose from the dead, that our response would be, yes, Lord, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Yes, Lord, I surrender all to you. Yes, Lord, I want you to come and do a new work in me and clean me up and enable me to do ministry to other people and to help others, to love my neighbor. Grant it, we ask, we humbly pray, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you as you remain standing and keep your heads bowed, and take this time and search your heart. There's multiple ways for you to respond. For some, it might say God's telling you to come and kneel at these front chairs. For some, it might be God's asking me to pray about it where I'm standing. For some, it might be I've got to find a personal place. And for some, it's this constant knowing that you need to do something more. So as we wait just a minute, does anybody need to come and pray?